Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on American Glutton, I'm joined by Mark Pattison. Mark is a former NFL player, philanthropist, podcaster, and entrepreneur. He has also climbed the seven summits. We talk about doing hard things. You can find Mark on Instagram at Mark Pattison NFL. And welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me, man. I, you know, this is truly an honor. I've seen you on the big screen and, you know, out of the blue, you pop up and you know, here we are. And I can't wait to have a chat. I can't wait to have a chat too. You know, I, I, I doing this podcast has opened up who I've gotten to talk to literally like I prior to this, there were so many people like, like you who I thought like, wouldn't it be cool to talk to that dude? And then I'd have no avenue to do it. And now not only do I get to talk to you, but we get to like share the conversation with other people, which I think is pretty radical. It is radical. And I've had other actors on the, on, on the show from Tom Arnold to um, uh, Kevin uh, Serbo, if I said that right. But, you know, even like going, you know, in, in sports that I didn't play necessarily golf, Freddie Couples on the podcast. And you're right. It just has given me so much access and reach to these different people that you normally would never talk to. And it's just, you know, stepping into the fear of asking questions and interacting with different people and, and being able to find out about what they go through. And, and as you, as you know, um, life isn't just a perfect set of, you know, wins, we all go through highs and lows. And so it's always interesting to find out about, you know, what that person went through to get to where they are. hundred percent dude. And that, and that, and that's why, like, I've wanted to talk to you like the, the, for me, I think we do all have something that we go through and my thing happened to be my thing. And I struggled mostly with addiction and, and being overweight and food and really, really addiction to food also. Mm. Um, so that's my hard thing. I think I can glean insight on how to overcome the problems I'm having just by talking to people who have also gone through and accomplished something difficult. Yeah, I think you're really on point with what you just said. And, you know, I have a podcast called Finding Your Summit, all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way. And the reason why I started my podcast three, four years ago is because of the difficulties I was running into. And I've, I've run into them several times, you know, in my life. Um, but it really helped me, like, set a big-ass goal out there. And in my case, it was to try to become the first NFL player to ever climb the seven summits. And, you know, if I hadn't gone through that struggle, and that's sometimes where people get so focused on just the struggle and what they're going through and the adversity and, you know, how could it get any worse? And it does. And how do you emerge out of that? I wouldn't be in the place I am today. And, you know, things are going great, but it had to get really bad before it got really good. Yeah. What, what was what was setting that goal? Like, I mean, like, did you grow up thinking about 
those summits or even mountain climbing in general, or just was there one that you were like, God, it'd be cool to climb? Like, how how did that come to be? That's a great question. And uh, the answer is I grew up, we're, we're all affected by, you know, the environment that we grow up in, right? So an example of that, I've, I've got to know Laird Hamilton, big wave surfer quite well, and he's become a big brand. And of course, he grew up in Malibu and Hollywood, uh, Hawaii, and surfing was his whole thing. So he's like, fantastic. He's the first guy to do like a hundred foot wave, right? Which is insane. Yeah. And in my case, I grew up in Seattle, Washington. So it's a very mountainous community. Um, it's up there in the Northwest. And so you're surrounded by obviously mountains. We've got this big boy up there called Mount Rainier. It's a 14,500 foot peak. And even though that football was kind of my main gig, um, I spent a lot of time in the mountains with my, with my dad just doing the basic hike, you know, there's a difference between a hike and a climb, right? A climb is Mount Everest, a hike. Somebody asked me not too long ago, they go, how was that hike on Mount Everest? I go, it wasn't really a hike. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) And I almost died up there. And so, um, I mean, I personally think of a hike, something you can accomplish in an afternoon. That for me is a hike. That is a hike. That is a hike and nothing, you know, there's all kinds of difficulty ratings on that, but, you know, generally speaking, anybody can go out and at whatever pace you want to go, you can go like you said, that goal. Um, the Northwest was really interesting. It produced a lot of amazing mountaineers. Um, the Whitaker brothers, Jim Whitaker, actually in 1963 was the first American uh, that summited Mount Everest. Uh, it had been summited for the first time uh, 10 years before, a decade before by Sir Edmund Hillary, um, you know, a British crew. Actually, he's from, from New England, but it was sanctioned by, by the British and, and they, they accomplished that. Um, and then there's another guy who I've become friends with, probably the best. Wait, Hil- Hillary was an American? No, Hillary was no. not American. He okay, was a, okay. actually a New Zealander. Right. But the, the British government put up the money with a gigantic expedition crew to go accomplish that. Um, so they got the accolades. Yeah. So they got the accolades and, you know, essentially set his life forward. And, you know, interesting thing about him is, is um, they went with some different sets of guys and, 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 and they had sent two other guys, uh, uh, another British guy and a, and a Sherpa up to climb the mountain um, first. And they got up to about the balcony, uh, which is about 28,000 feet. And for some reason, uh, they couldn't make it. And so they turned around, came back up. And so uh, Hillary and Tenzing uh, Norway were sitting in their 10 to 26.5 saying, OK, let's go for it. And so they were actually the second people. So a lot of people don't know that story, but just being in the right place at the right time um, allowed them to get through. The other American I was going to tell you about who lives here in Sun Valley, Idaho, is a guy named Ed Beasters, who also cut his chops a lot on the mountains of, of around Washington. And so, um, you know, I, I was always really inspired by those people that that um, had had climbed Mount Everest in particular. Um, and so I, I don't know I've always looked at those guys with mad respect. And, you know, I got to a point, I was so low. I said, I don't really care necessarily about my, my life um, in the sense that I'm going to die in a mountain. I just need to go some, do something so grand, so exceptional that it's going to challenge me and take me, you know, from this, when, when you're going through tough times, you know, your energy is down and your focus is just on that bad time. And I need to rechannel and I need to refocus that energy on something that's really going to take me and help me pull myself out of it. And the time I was going through, my dad had died of a massive stroke and I was going through a divorce. I've been with this gal for 30 years and we had kids and, you know, it was just a, 
it was just a tough time to be me. We'd moved from Seattle uh, down to Santa Monica, on and on and on, and just you know didn't have a whole lot of people to tap into, so I had no community. And so it took me actually nine years to complete seven seven summits. You know, so you know there was a lot of adversity in there, and there's a lot of weaving and diversing. Um, but you gotta you know stay with the goal and keep your eye on the prize. Yeah, I, I just want to say because um, it wasn't like this idea for me for for a long time you know was like somebody's going to climb a mountain okay well they're probably cut out to climb a mountain and they and they can just do that and then i found myself about 10 years ago in Kathmandu on my way to a place called bunge in nepal and we were gonna me and a buddy were gonna get on the backs of elephants and roam around the jungle looking for one of the last wild tigers out there right wow. and we were on this crazy adventure and i remember taking off from Kathmandu and the plane never gets higher than the Himalayas. Uh, the mountains are always still higher than you and you're in, in an airplane. And I, it was at that point that I realized like, that's a crazy mountain to climb. Like that's uh, an insanely high mountain to climb. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You know, uh, and it's probably, if you're on some long haul international flight, the plane is 10,000 feet or 10,000 plus feet above it or whatever it is. But this little plane that we took to get from Kathmandu to Bunge, uh, Nepal, the, the Himalayas were off to our right and they were always above us. And, mm -hmm. and it, you, you know, you see it in from that perspective and it, and it becomes this insane and magical thing that you go like, I don't understand how a person got to the top of that. Well, listen, I almost didn't. And we started with 400 people in our, uh, well, 400 people total that were on the mountain from all different parts of the world and different expedition parties. And, and, there's only and are all 400 expecting to make it to the top? All 400, you know, you pay a lot of money and, and the money or the, the mountain got shut down. Actually, Nepal got shut down the year before because of COVID. And of the 400, only 120 of us made it. And of our particular group, 24 started. And of the 24, only 10 of us made it to the top. And we were flying people off left and right from either COVID or your lungs flew up, uh, fill up with fluid. I mean, imagine, you know, you're, are you in New York City? Is that where you are? No, I'm, I'm in Florida right now. You're in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So the same point of you're at, you know, your, your elevation right now is a foot, maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we're living for two months at 17,500 feet. If you can imagine that. I can. And, 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 you know, when in, in part of the reason of that, and this is like the educational thing, like people, probably the most surprising question is, is. Uh, you know, did you go out there for a weekend or a couple of weeks? And the answer is no, you're there for 60 days. And part of that 60 days, when you land, when you go from Kathmandu, you go to the world's most dangerous airport in Lukla, you la literally land on a cliff. It's 300 feet long, right? 300 yards long. Um, and it goes uphill, right? right. And, and so it's just trying to slow the, the, the motor down. And then, of course, when you turn around, you take off. Uh, it's crazy. You're going off the cliff and you got to bank it hard left. So you don't crash in the mountain. So it's pretty crazy, but you land at 9,800 feet and then you spend two weeks climbing up to 17.5. And then once you're at 17.5, the next six weeks, you're going up and you're going down and you're going up and down. We're trying to build red blood cells in our system that carry around more oxygen one. And the second thing is 
is two times during the year. And it's not an exact science. It's just within this range of, of roughly two weeks, to, uh, 10 days to two weeks. And that is the jet stream sits at 26,500 feet, which is our camp fork uh, where we are. Uh, and, and the jet stream actually rises above. Now it doesn't uh, for sure, like you push a button, like your sunroof and it, right. it, it goes, it goes when it wants to go. But that's like the range of what, and when we got up to camp three at 23,500 feet, we actually felt found ourselves in a cyclone and we were stuck in our tents and our sleeping bags for three days. On and that's 40- just the jet stream. That's just the natural state of that place. It's natural state. And so we're constantly looking at the weather forecasting and everything else. And, and so, and then that's where, you know, if you go back in time to the 1953s, the 1963, the 1973, even back in, uh, into the, the movie in a thin air, um, about when those guys got stuck in the superstorm, that's essentially what happened. I was there. I was at 26,500 feet. I had dead bodies that were laying six feet from me. When I was on, got towards the top, um, multiple dead bodies, you're stepping over. I mean, it's crazy wow. and you can't take them off. It's so steep. Um, and it, it's just a kind of every man in a self-preservation mode that he's just like, you're looking at it like, I don't want that to happen to me. You just got to, you know, hunker down and, and just keep at that point, if you have a real severe problem, you're done. Well, I almost had a real severe, I mean, I ran out of oxygen. My Sherpa left me and I was snow blind in my left eye. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so trying to manage that, if you can, if you can get around and I hadn't eaten in three days, right. So <laughs> and, try, and try to, elevation, it's crazy. Elevation at 29,035 feet. I, I am so grateful that, I mean, literally I had so many angels and, 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 and other people with their arms around me going up there because it, I, I'd never, of all these mountains I've been, you know, I've been in Antarctica and Denali is in my first year in 2017, it was in minus 80 degree weather. If you can imagine that didn't make it way to turn around, but you know, I've been in some of these crazy environments, but I've never been to that edge before. I've been tired and fatigued, but not where, okay. If I sit down and I go to sleep, I'm not waking up again. Yeah. I, I you know, Listen, this is the kind of thing that I use that kind of story where like I'm in the gym, I got another set to do and I don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, but Mark lasted however many days at altitude, snow blind in one eye, hasn't eaten and he still pushed through. I can get through my set. You know what? I, I can use that as inspiration to get through. I do have a question though, like having done the seven summits, see for me, and this is something that took me a long time to learn with weight loss, I would have this goal. If I want to lose X pounds, whatever that was at the time, I get to my goal and then I'm done. And it's very easy without changing the way I view life really to just undo my goal. Once you've gotten to the summit, there's no undoing that. You will have that goal forever. You can't unclimb that mountain. Do you find that you need to like set new goals for yourself to be interested in life? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, just because I just took on the grandest of all grand accomplishments and succeeded at that, there's this whole thing about what's next, you know? And, and I guess this, to me, this, this can really bounce out to, you know, asking this generic question to anybody called what's your Everest, right? And how can you continue to reinvent? I'm going through that right now. And I'll tell you what I'm doing about it. I learned that going through 
um, this this challenge I was going through early on, and I really need to, to retreat to the mountains to get healed. And as, as I was going up and down, I'd started listening to podcasts like like yours and, and being influenced with positive voices on people that could help. So I don't listen to like the adventures of Mickey Mouse, right? right? Everything I do is real people with real issues and real going thing. And like, what are the strategies to help me get there? And one of the things is continuing to goal set. So um, I turned the magical age at age of 60. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I am. And that's happening in mid-December. And so I decided like, I need to do something extraordinary to just let, tell myself I still got it. So I'm, I'm flying to Ecuador and I'm going to climb Cotopaxi. It was 20,000 feet. And then the 13th, which is my birthday, I'm going to drop down on the summit and do 60 push-ups. Wow. So, so every single day I've been doing these different um, uh, uh, things uh, to, to put myself in a position. Again, I think the other thing too is like when you start talking about, you know, setting goals, you have to be all in. And, and that's the thing that I see with so many people. And that's a lot of the reasons why they call it the New Year's resolution is because in December, we start putting these great goals down and by March, you're out. And, yeah. and to me, it's the daily discipline and then commit, daily discipline and commit. And so for me, I have to live by my own rules. And so I've been, I train twice a day. I moved to Sun Valley, Idaho. It's 6,000 feet. So I have the altitude already built in 6,000. I'm not starting at sea level, like where you're at or my hometown in Seattle. And, and, and next year, I've got um, uh, in Chamonix, out of Chamonix, there's a mountain called Mount Blanc. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm looking at doing that mountain, but it's really set me on this course where I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to go 60 days. That's what I, I don't need to do that, but I need to continue. And, and really, if you take a step back and you ask, like, look at all the things that you and I, I mean, look, you're an accomplished actor. And you've, and I, I've only, we'll get into this next week when I do my pot on you, but yeah. we're, we're going to get into, to some of your life adventures and some, some, some goals that you set. But, you know, in my case, I've done some cool things, but if you stack it up and you say, what are all the things you haven't done? I haven't right. been to Charleston. I haven't been in New Orleans. I haven't climbed all these mountains all over the world. I haven't gone out in the jungle and looked for a Bengal tiger or whatever you're looking for, right? right? I haven't done that. I want to do that. And so I start looking at my list and it, it's just, it really motiv- motivated me from the standpoint of saying to myself, you know, look at all the things I haven't done, which creates the bucket list. Yeah. It's out there of these new goals that I keep training for. And that's what keeps me motivated with the strong why of why yeah. I do it. I, I have a question for you about goals and, and I want to, put it in context. Um, how, how my question is, how important is actually understanding, like having a deep understanding of what your goal is. And I say this because I have had many instances in my own life. And I've talked to people who experience this, where I'm thinking in my head that my goal is that for the next 10 years, I'm a certain weight. And yet, I'm actively working towards a goal of just losing weight, which doesn't get me to the goal that I'm thinking of. So I've named a goal in a different way than I'm actually training. So like when you're training for climbing a mountain, how do you have to get like scientific about everything that will come up, every aspect, think through different scenarios? How in depth is planning something like that? Well, I would say it this way, and I would say it with weight weight loss or changing your 
eating habits or whatever you want to do is that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and I didn't go from little league to the NFL in one jump. Right. That took me when I was, I started playing football when I was, you know, there's a, there was a league back in the day called 89ers. So it was eight or nine year olds out there running around and now pretending they're football players. And, you know, I made it all the way and I stopped playing when I was 29. And so that's a long time. And, and I, and I put myself in a position to once I got to the, well, actually, once I went from high school to the University of Washington, I was so far in over my head. I, you know, I couldn't bench my weight. It was 181 pounds. I didn't have the body to pay. I played at Washington to, to actually go out and compete at that level. And by the time I got done with that, you know, I had gone through this, this big pyramid of, of success of, 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 of putting certain goals down and accomplishing those things. And it took me five years to do of which then put me at the combine, which then I got drafted, you know? And so as I equate that to the mountains, you know, when I first started this, I'd been doing a lot of like little, we talked about before hikes and I called a, uh, a, a guy that runs a, um, a climbing expedition um, uh, company. And I just said like, how do you do this? And he mapped it all out and said, this is what you want to do. So again, I chunked it. And I put short-term, I didn't think about Mount Everest. I didn't think about uh, Antarctica. I didn't think about Russia, Mount Alberts. I didn't think about any of the other six except for just one. And that one was down in Tanzania. Sounds like you've been there. And climbing um, uh, Kilimanjaro. And, and so, you know, that was the only goal. What did I need to do? What was the equipment? How high I was going to go? What I needed to, to hydrate with? I mean, those are the things I needed to focus. And then, and then I go down there like the first time. And, you know, I, I was doing great for, it's like a seven day climb. And on the last day you go for the summit, you're at 15,000 going up to 19,300 feet. And I completely bonked. And so I had to learn from that. Like, why did I bonk and how do I not do that in the future? And then I got to the top and it was magical. And I got down and it was, it was, it was awesome, but you know, there was a lot of learnings. And so then the next mountain I took and I, and I went through a bunch of stuff on the next one which I had to learn, which then took me to the third one, right? But it just kept marching along. So I kept learning and succeeding, yet failing in some way that I could take away and learn to the next mountain. I think that that appetite for learning out of failure is so vital to people who actually make accomplishments. And I do not have that innately. I've, I've been working really hard on shifting my perspective to be if I failed at something, what can I learn from this so that I, so that I succeed the next time? Or if I fail again, I'm failing better the next time, right? There's that Samuel Beckett quote, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better, which really mm. speaks to me. And and so, but it is effort, dude. Um, you know, I, I hear you bonked on day seven. And to me, I could fully put myself into a situation where I'm, where I'm, ha- where I'm, in something like that, and I am so ready to give up, it takes every bit of effort um, to get me beyond that, to keep pushing. And, and I think it does become easier when your perspective shifts, but it's a practice to get there. It is. It, it is practice and it's discipline. And I, and I really believe this too, and you mentioned this earlier, um, this has really helped me a lot. And, and, um, and that is this whole idea about surrounding yourself with positive voices, right? And I've been fortunate to have coaches to really push me to the edge. Um, 
And, and yet at the same time, you know, like John Wooden's got this whole thing that, and this isn't, I don't think this is literal, like you're going to get rid of all your friends, but like your, your best buddies, the top five people in your life should be people who are going to make you better. Yeah. And, and, and part of those people making you better. Like I can only imagine like you're this accomplished uh, actor um, and you've had success and all the guys that have, hey, are out there swinging the bat every day that haven't had near the, the amount of films that you've done. Um, but at the same time, I can only imagine you're in the rejection business. So how does that feel? Right. Yeah. And so you're constantly getting knocked back and you think you're perfectly for the role and it doesn't happen and it does. So like, how do you get, I'm in the sales business at sports illustrated and, you know, you just, I just, it's just the way of life of like, you know, I'm going to call 10, uh, in our case, publishers that are out there and nine people are going to say no to me. And one person might say yes. Right. And so that doesn't affect me. It's just like, okay, what, what can I learn from that? How can I get better? What could I have said better? You know, you go through that, but going back to the, the mental gymnastics that we all go through. I mean, my daughter, uh, Amelia, uh, she's 22 right now and she's got epilepsy and, and a lot of what I was my, my strong why, especially when my, when my life was literally on the line coming off of, of Mount Everest. I was the last guy standing May 23rd, 2021. I was the last guy standing on top of Mount Everest. My Sherpa had taken off. I was like, how am I going to get down? And part of that was my daughter who struggles through having daily seizures um, that I was just kept saying, you know, just the mental gymnastics. Like if she can make it, I can do it. If she can do it, I can do it. And tapping into all those podcasts and those audiobooks, you know, that we talked about earlier of like, what has this person done and what have they overcome? Like, like, it's just like, I'm not going to, like, if they can do it, I know I can do it. I'm not going to quit on that, but you got to fill your head with the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's vitally important to be, you know, and, and I've talked about, it makes sense to me as a sober person that like, part of sobriety is like and and look i say that my wife drinks alcohol and 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 she's fine she's what i call a quote-unquote normal person or a normie right because it's not a problem for her so I, I i don't think you have to only associate with exactly people who are going through what you're going through but like for the beginning of our relationship my wife didn't drink and she did that because she wanted to create a, an environment for me that was a little bit safer. And now, you know, we're 20 plus years in and, and she drinks wine and I don't have a problem with that, but like going to a, an AA meeting, you are surrounding yourself with other people who are going through what you're going through. If you're, if you want to change your body in a certain way and have a different body composition, surrounding yourself with athletic people or people who are interested in that pursuit, whether they're on the exact same eating regimen you are, or the exact same exercise regimen, that makes sense to me. But at the minimum, I think it's, it's vitally important to have, and, and not necessarily cheerleaders, but people who are supportive of your goals, who aren't going to get in the way of them. Yeah. What you just said is, is totally on point. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, and I think at the same time, like all these things that, that are that like I've, I've done and, and you've done and other people have done, um, they're all challenging. And, and you got to come to the realization that hard things are hard. Yeah. Hard things. They're not, you know, they work out. It's not play out. It's workout. Right. 
And, and, and I've, you know, I, and I, for, for somebody who's been physically active all my life, you know, I have to constantly come up with new ways to reinvent myself. Right. And it's not easy. Right. And it's not easy and it's a struggle. And I, I just have to commit to that in which I do, because I know that's going to put me in the best position to accomplish the bigger goal that's out there. For me now it's code epoxy. Now we've moved on from Mount Everest. Uh, now it's code epoxy. And so, um, you know, you had this really beautiful quote that you mentioned earlier and one that um, I, I came across not too long ago that it just, it, it, it just really helps me process. And it's from Martin Luther King, which it says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving. Yeah. And that's one of the things I have. Now, that doesn't mean you can't sit down and have a nice, you know, go to dinner. You're like, you know, fast food on the go. It's, but, but I think that's the whole thing is action creates reaction. And, and that's what, you know, when people get depressed and they're down and like, how do I get through this? And I really want to, I, I have to change my mindset and like, okay, what can I do to like move this thing of a strap? Like right, right in the middle of, of, of yesterday, sorry about this. So right in the middle of yesterday, um, you know, I was working away doing my, my typical nine to five or working digital media. And I, it was a beautiful day here in Sun Valley. And I was just like, you know what? I, I, need, I need to just go out and I'm going to do an hour and a half bike ride and go up in the mountains. I was back there in the snow and, and all this stuff. But I would never do that. But I just, I, like, I felt stuck in that moment. And I needed to change my environment to, create, to change my thought pattern to then feel like I'd accomplished something by going on this, you know, 15, 16 mile bike ride. Right. And, and that's what I, I, I constantly, you know, just because you've climbed mountains like I've done and done some other things doesn't mean that we don't have the same mental adjustments that, that, that anybody else does you sure. know, out there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. No, I, I, I do. I, I am a firm believer that it is all basically within the same universe. It's all the same stuff. Like whatever amount you deal with it versus what I deal with it, you're still dealing with something. There's something there. There's something you have to push through. Nobody's not pushing through anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to have dreams when I was a kid and I would wake up, but I would be stuck. And the only way to get out of it was just to like jolt myself and shake. And once I, once I, that first movement allowed me to move. And I think about that in life sometimes when I'm stuck and I'm having all these questions about um, what I should do or feeling like, you know, if, if the thought occurs to me, like I should exercise, but I'm sitting and watching TV and I'm not doing it. I just need to move. I, I think what you're talking about with movement is so important. I think it is vitally there's something about that. And then you can gather inertia and you can just get going into a direction and all of it then becomes easier. It does. And it makes you feel good about your accomplishment and movement to me is both physical and, and like, I, I, I like to say, like, you know, trying to get the universe right is about your, your body, your mind, your soul. Right. And so, um, you know, when I started climbing these mountains, you know, roughly 10 years ago, and I was going through this bad patch and it probably took me three or four years till I, I felt like I was healed and I was back on my feet. And then I'm thinking like, 
well, you know, what else can I do? I got exposed to podcasting. So I started doing podcasting. And again, most of the people I talked to have overcome something crazy. Um, and we talk about that. And you've mentioned this word a couple of times, perspective. And it really helped me shape my perspective. Like maybe my situation is not so bad. Plus, I was in these different villages in, in, in Africa and in Nepal and and just seeing people with so little and their happiness factor was so off the, the, the chart. And then, you know, I started thinking about, well, you know, how can I help my daughter? And so I, 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 I partner with a, um, with a brand here, a nonprofit, Higher Ground. Um, and Higher Ground, you know, they help um, a lot of athletes, um, uh, not athletes, well, military people and athletes, you know, um, through through doing various things, skiing and, and everything else, um, uh, uh, deal with empowerment. So they actually come over here and they do these different things. They raise money. And there's also a cognitive part of this whole thing. And, and my daughter, you know, with, with their seizures um, and everything, it's just like, this is a way I can potentially help. So taking that energy and again, that's movement in my brain. Like, how can I do it? How can I do it? How can I do it? And some of that, I was trying to problem solve that walking up the mountain, probably that part of that was sitting, but I felt like I was making progress somewhere which at the end of the day, now we've raised a bunch of money. And, and, you know, so it's all part of the, 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 the movement, right? The, the action creates reaction. The, if you can't fly, you can run and all that stuff. It just, it just all, to me, it fits in that same puzzle. Yeah. I always, I always think doing something is, uh, you know, superior for me than doing nothing. You know, I always want to be doing something towards whatever the goal is. Even if the goal is like, get a healthy meal, do something active. Don't take the road of least resistance necessarily. That doesn't always equal the best result for me. Um, It it, it is simply amazing what you've accomplished. Thank you. Well, you know, the other thing too is, is like, like I never consciously, I think this is the one thing that like about this whole movement thing is I never set out to have a podcast. I never set out to be a part of a charity. I never start, uh, uh, started out. I've got a, I'm working with, uh, there's a book agent that's come to me. The NFL in January found out about my story and said, you know what? We want to do a film and a documentary on your journey. Um, and for anybody out there, it's on YouTube now. Um, it's called Searching for the Summit, Searching for the Summit. And it's this beautiful story. And, and, and so the point being is that I never consciously, it was never my idea to, to have all this stuff happening, but it was just kind of through one thing tied to the next, tied to the next, tied to the next. And, and it's created this, this, this kind of snowball, which is very great. And at the end of the day, like we're doing another premiere up on uh, this island called Bainbridge Island, which is is right off um, from Seattle. It's a 45-minute boat ride across to this island on Friday night. And 100% of all the proceeds are going to this, this nonprofit called Higher Ground. And so it's a way like how can whatever light that's been shown on me redirect it and help others? And that's yeah. kind of where the theme of this whole thing has gone. And, and that's kind of, I, I would say, if of, of all the stuff you know, it's great that I climbed the mountain and everything, but what's more important is my daughter getting healed, helping others, having more exposure so I can help, in, you know, in different ways through money going to these different organizations. It, it is a magical thing uh, to set out for uh, with a purpose that is kind of 
individual individualized or for yourself and get to a point where you then are helping others by sharing it or talking about it or even you know I think that this could be on any level a guy starts going to the gym at some point in his life if he gets good at it he offers somebody advice or somebody asks him for advice that feeling is so great I remember the first time somebody asked me for advice in a gym I nearly fell off the bench I was so like honored to be considered the person to ask advice you know what I mean because I still get stuck in the headspace sometimes of 20 years ago when I certainly wouldn't have been somebody you asked for advice unless you want to know like where a cool place to eat is that that might be advice I could give you um you know and so that switch is is another goal that I have to be a person that people seek help from, you know, because I enjoy mm-hmm. helping people. And I think that that can be, anybody could have that, you know? They can, I think they could have that if they've done the hard work yeah, and taken the journey, right? And it sounds like you've done that. And I mean, that's such, such a wonderful thing. And, and look, I, I like, I've been able to do a couple of cool things, but I still don't think I have all the answers and I'm still searching and, you know, and, and hunting of like, it literally, I, I got a Peloton a couple of years ago and it's been a game changer for me and really just the bike and the treadmill, the tip of the iceberg, and then getting into CrossFit, which is really six dimensional movements of jumping up and back. And that, you know, I used to do all that stuff with football, but then a bunch of years go by and you, you just get into the, you know, the gym where it's just straight. And so it's just like, how can I reinvent my body as I'm getting older? And how can I reduce any more injury, um, you know, that, that I may, may take on. I mean, I fell off a, a ladder in, um, in the Kumba ice fall, which was terrifying backwards into a crevasse, you know, 20 feet down. Wow. And I, I, was so, I was so lucky I didn't break a bone or anything, but it ripped up my back and, and had some other issues, but, you know, I'm still kind of coming off that right now. And it, it's just like about, okay, how can I, continue to to do certain things working out preparing for ecuador and mount blanc and these other ones where it's the lowest amount of stress i went down and i learned a ton from laird hamilton about pool workouts and weights it was just another way of stretching my mind because we get so stuck on getting up getting on the treadmill it's 30 minutes you hop off you do your bench you, you know like that is just to me that's so old school and i've learned kind of a whole new way um, of, of developing my my body and my you know, and then the food thing is another thing hard for me, like carbs blow me up. So it's just like, you know, when can I have a carb and when I can't and the right kind of food and coming up with a seven summit smoothie, I've come up with all this different stuff, right. Just to keep me in check and eating and putting the right kind of nourishment in my body. Yeah. The, the Laird Hamilton workouts are so wild. Every time I'm anywhere, with a natural body of water, I'm looking for a heavy rock that I can walk around on the bottom of this body of water. And, and it is such a crazy workout to lift heavy things while you're holding your breath, especially yeah. if you get down to some depth. So there's also the pressure of, you know, an atmosphere or something like that, that's on top of you. It's a really, really strange and awesome workout to do. Yeah, he's mastered it. I mean, He's, I mean, I've done it now numerous times and, and um, you probably know half the actors are, that are in the, the pool with them in his place in Malibu, but 
uh, you know, just it, it's been a it's been a really cool thing to again just learn a different. He's all business too. I mean, even though there's these different faces uh, around, it's like you either come prepared to work or don't come. Yeah. And uh, you got to bring your game, and and you know you're expected to not know it all. I mean, I've never taken a 35 pound weight in, in hand and jump in the deep end 12 feet down and come down and, and like do a squat and try to propel myself back up and breach. And as soon as you breach and come out and you grab a, a breath of air, you're zip, you're going right back down the bottom. Yeah. You try to do that ton times. Right. And I mean, you're, you're gassed. Right. So, um, but again, it's just hard things are hard and trying to constantly reinvent. And I think in, in life so often you kind of hit a certain plateau and you just keep going. And what I'm trying to do is just shock my body, you know, here and there that, that I introduced myself new concepts. And that's been the biggest thing to really open my brain. Yeah. I find that telling myself, I, I find that I've, I've gotten to the place where I know that I can go in expecting it to be hard. It's always going to be harder than I thought. And mm-hmm. that I, I want to be excited. I want to be excited about that. So I am now trying to, you know, I, I did ride bikes for a while. Um, and I, I got to the point where a hundred mile bike ride was no longer that hard. And that was mm. awesome. But there was something in that culture where they talk about enjoying the suffering, you know, the suffering of riding uphill. And they talk about there, there was a, a romanticization of suffering. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with that because if we can get to the point where the suffering is actually the thing, you know, you're out riding your bike. I'm not riding my bike to get anywhere. The whole thing is just that I'm riding my bike up a hill and it's really hard. And if I can convince myself that I like that, I can do anything, you know? Yeah. That you you said that really well. And I really, this is what I believe too, is that if you want to take yourself to the next level, you have to physically put yourself and stress your body to levels that you don't know, which then will mentally allow you to go through the suffering because all it is, everything you've talked about from the opening minute of this podcast is really in between your ears. hundred percent. And the same thing for me and everybody else. And so if we know that our bodies can keep going, then, it, then what's the problem? Well, the problem is that you've got a brain and you think and you have emotions and you need fluids and be hydrated and all this stuff. But that was where, you know, did, did I enjoy suffering for two months on Mount Everest, sleeping at 17,500 feet, getting in a minus 40 degree uh, sleeping bag every night, sleeping on rocks, sleeping on ice. Um, it was always, you know, below zero. I'm in a parka, hat, gloves, mittens, you know, I mean, eating bad food, I I mean, two months, that's a long time to be in a tough spot. And then going up to the Kumbaya fall and having avalanches come down on us every day. You know, I mean, it was all real. Dude, I love suffering. I couldn't do that. No way. uh, But it's a different kind. You don't have to like, not everybody has to go climb a mountain. Right. Right. And, And the reason why my podcast is called Finding Your Summit is because the summits become metaphorical. Sure. So like I could say to myself, like, I don't think I have the body frame to, to do a, a, a full marathon. Um, but maybe I could ride a bike. I mean, I know I could ride a bike. I talked to I had a guy on a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago and in 12 days he rode across America. Yeah. Right. Like that's insane to me. Right. Insane. And so you'd be going through, there was all kinds of suffering that he went through. And, and so 
it, it's just, you, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that, again, I go back to the same thing of hard things are hard and you have to embrace suffering at these hard things that you want to take on and nothing was ever accomplished easy. I mean, go try to try a trial for an NFL team. That's not easy. Yeah. Um, right. So, and, it, and I really hard. like hard things are hard too, because it seems like there are certain things you have to have to climb Mount Everest. You, you have to have an oxygen tank, even though you lost yeah. one and you proved that like you can do some stuff without it, but like nobody's yeah. going up there without that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is not uh, uh, like a, like a fast track. That is not a cheat code. That is not something that takes it and makes it, that's a, a necessary tool. So when I look at the, the universe that I'm more in, which is weight loss, there is such a desire for a cheat code to get out of the hard things being hard. And it's like, certainly you could find ways to make your life less mundane while on a diet, but there is no cheat code. It is going to be hard. I don't know anybody from, and you know, there's like professional diet dieters, bodybuilders are professional dieters. Dieting is hard. It's going to be hard. If you, if it's not hard in to some capacity, I don't know that you're doing it right. Um, and so I think sometimes trying to make things easy and I, and I put this in, in contrast with taking oxygen to Mount Everest, because I don't think of that as making it easy. I think that that is a necessary tool. So there, there's a difference there. Mm -hmm. Find out what your necessary tools are. Have your necessary tools. Don't expect them to take the hard out of what's going to be hard. Well, it's, yeah. And on top of that, I mean, if you don't have oxygen, um, you will most likely die. It's right. just that simple. <laughs> right. Because our bodies aren't designed to be at 29,035 feet, which is the jet stream. You know, yeah, that's it's a necessary tool. If you just stop eating, yeah. you'll also die. So that's not a good, yeah. that's not a good strategy for weight loss, just not eating anymore. Right. Cause the, so, but it's, but so you have to have the oxygen, you have to have food to, so you have to take in nutrients to some degree, or we die. These are, strategies to survive the, uh, the i just think there's there's such a a desire for a magic pill or a magic diet or uh something that takes the work away that makes it not hard and and i think that the the expectation of hard work if you can get your head there if you can get excited to do the hard work if you can look forward to the exertion that hard work requires that's a big part of the game I think it's life commitment and you've done that. It sounds like with alcohol and it's, it's just like, what's the big picture for me. It's my diet for me. It's going to bed usually at 10 o'clock, uh, you know, seven days a week um, because I really like getting up and I really enjoy the mornings. I really like first thing I do is go work out and do CrossFit, you know? And I know that if I go to bed at, at midnight or two o'clock in the morning, or if I've been drinking, which I don't drink much anyhow, I mean, it's just like, it's just like, what choices do you want to make to empower the things? You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I've got these just rock stars that, that I've, I've invited in, but I'm, I've, I've got this, um, I'm going to invite you to it, but it's called the Seven Summit Summit that I'm holding here in Sun Valley next June. Okay. And I've got people like Mario Hemingway and Jim Morin, but people have had accomplishment, but this whole Summit Summit is about being uh, inspirational. So people talking to you 
about Mario Hemingway's case. She's been in a bunch of movies like you, um, but she's also had seven deaths in her family. So the mental health health of, of like, how do you get through things when things aren't working so well for you? And you've gone through that and I've gone through that. And other people, Jim Moore has been fired, you know, three or four different times. UCLA, the line of Falcons, Seattle Seahawks. You just got a job at UConn. Like, how do you deal with that? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but there's an inspirational and there's an aspirational. So, you know, like, again, finding things that I think are really hard to prove that you can do it. They're hard. You're going to suffer a little bit, but you also are going to make it and you're going to find some success. And I think those three days tools are, I believe that there's a market out there. There's a lot of people that just, they, they want to get there, but they just don't have all the bandwidth of how to actually do it. And so by bringing in some of these people have had been, had a lot of accomplishments, they've had success, they've had failures, and now they can offer some some kind of advice um, that people can tap into that, right? And and they can hopefully walk away that being very inspired about what's coming next. So anyways, I'll send you the link later to it, but yes, please excited about, you know, about what that could be. Mark, I can't, I can't, that sounds, that sounds awesome. I know Mariel, she's awesome. I love yeah. her. Um, I, I'm, I'm again, so impressed and inspired by you. Thank you so much for Thank having you. this conversation. You know, I, I look at, I am just pinching myself that somebody like you has been in the public eye and you've been, you've done some great movies. You do really good work. Um, asked me to be on this podcast because look, at the end of the day, we all put our pants on the same way. And it's really cool to see when somebody that I've never known until right now um, reaches out and affects my life in some way. And, you know, it just, it just gives me hope and it gives me um, encouragement. And when I'm out on my, I've got another CrossFit thing tonight, you know, and I'll be thinking about that, like a lot of the things that we just talked about, it's really cool because it's the food and it's the fuel that I need to like keep me actually going and doing these different things. Yeah, dude. Right now I have, I have these, uh, I store up these like mental little movies of stuff. Like you talked earlier about seeing people in Nepal who who don't have as much material stuff and they're still happy. I, I use that kind of stuff all the time for inspiration. It's like, you know, what can what can I do with what I have? And I'm going to be using the image of you having been on the mountain for two months, climbing, malnourished, hungry, tired, falling off a ladder into a crevasse and still making it to the top. That's going to be the thing that tells me I can get through my hour at the gym. Mm-hmm. I can eat the meal I need to eat. I can make it through this day because you did that. Well, look, at uh, um, my last comment to you would be this. Um, uh, I would really encourage people to see the NFL 360 film, um, Searching for the Summit. And the reason why I was so proud of that project is, number one, the NFL, just like ESPN 3030s, just do a phenomenal job of, of storytelling, and they did it again. It's not about a guy, Rob Rod guy, that climbed the Mount Everest and look how cool he is. It's about a guy who went through a hard time and finally got healed and then was able to turn around and help his daughter who's going through epilepsy. And it was, and then finally, when I was going through my super struggle on summit day, trying to get off that mountain, you know, I really had to tap in and she really helped me from afar, of course, you know, tap into the things that I needed to actually get myself off that mountain and back down safely. And it's 30 minutes. And I think you'd really, you and your audience would be really inspired by, 
buy that. It's on YouTube. It's free. You can sit back for 30 minutes and I think be inspired by what, what the NFL was able to capture. Hell yeah. I'm going to watch it today. Great. Mark, thank you so much. All right, buddy. Thank you. I'll it's talk to you soon. Right you on. Too. Thank you. Okay. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now for the Q&A. Here's one from John. Hi, John. He says, I'm 45 years old and I've been lifting weights for five years. I meal prep all of my food for several reasons, but one of the main reasons is because I don't have an off switch when it comes to eating. I will just eat and eat until the food is gone, regardless of how I feel. Because I tend to eat fast, the full feeling doesn't help me to stop. I'll crush a couple of large pizzas like it's nothing, only to feel completely ill an hour or so afterwards. Do you have any trick or tips to overcome that type of behavior? I have that type of behavior. So uh, for a long time, I, I and I still do meal prep, but I meal prepped and I portioned everything out. So I because I don't know what a standard portion looks like i'm with him i'll eat the multiple pizzas and chicken wings and garlic knots and all of it and put ranch dressing and hot sauce on everything like that that speaks to me um so i think meal prepping is a good way to understand what a portion of food looks like i even have done stuff where i go like all the meals i'm gonna eat today are going to look the same. I'm going to dump them in one bucket because I'm going to take it to work, right? One large Tupperware. And then I've had the issue where I wind up eating all my food too early and I'm like, shit, I didn't do this right. So I can do that now. It took years of, of really going like, I have to stop eating now. Uh, I need, you know, if I have four meals in one Tupperware, I have to look at it and go, what's a quarter of this? That's what I'm going to eat right now. And like, stay aware of it, not mindlessly eat it until it's halfway done. And now I've eaten two meals in one sitting. Um, But I think meal, meal prepping, which is what he says he's doing, is the way to do that. And over the course of some time, if you're paying attention to it, you get a sense of, or I did at least, a sense of what a perfectly portioned meal looks like right it's not just that i put a perfectly portioned meal in this container i'm looking for cues as i'm eating it how do i feel right now once the meal's done i don't feel full in the same way that i did when i'd eat until the literally until my body said you're not allowed to eat anymore right like the um who are those british comedians monty python and the guy goes in and he eats he eats the buffet eats everything and he's like ordering and ordering order. He's this gigantic guy. And he's like, he's like, no, I think I'm done. Oh, actually, I'll have one mint. And the mint makes him explode, right? Like that's where I'd eat to that point. Uh, so I trampled over any signal that my body would send me telling me I was, I was full for so many years that I don't know that that signal exists. It doesn't because I don't eat a normal portion and go, well, that was enough food. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't, I'm not, I'm no longer hungry in literal terms, but I haven't stretched out the organ that is my stomach to the point where it can't fit anything, which is what I've taught myself is being full. 
that's not the same idea of what being full is where you're just eating enough to not gain weight, mm-hmm. right? Or eating enough to lose weight. So you kind of have to, or what I found to be workable was portion out my food and then pay attention to it while I'm eating it. Okay, I've just eaten my last bite. Slow down a little bit too because I eat very fast and I can shovel it all in there and like my body doesn't even know, like none of the signals have happened. We've got food. It's not started digesting anything yet and it's gone. What does it feel? Slow down is fine and then pay attention. Like what is this feeling? What is this feeling when I ate a little bit slower, I I ate what is or should be a normal portion of food for somebody my height and weight and my energy output and now how does my body feel okay my body is no longer telling me you need to eat right i'm not hangry right i'm not um i don't have the little prickle of anticipation on the bad like my hackles aren't up and i'm not ready to yell at my kids if they ask me some question right not that i do much of that but like i hope you get my point yeah, I'm paying. I'm trying to pay attention to those cues because I, I believe a normal person sits down, and those are the signals that tell them to stop eating. Normal, you know, normies mm-hmm. um, aren't eating to the point where they're going to throw up, right? Yeah, because if they were, they, they would look like me, but they don't. They look normal. Yeah, I think I, I use this word "normal" half as an insult. <laughs> Fuck those normal people. Yeah, those people that say, like, I forgot to eat. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, those people. Yeah, yeah. Those people can go to hell. <laughs> uh, that's what I got for you. I, hope I like that it. was a good answer. It was a great answer. All right. If you have a question for Ethan, please email it to us at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>